Well, please turn with me in our Bibles uh, this morning to the book of Jonah. If you're using uh, the church Bibles, you'll find this on page 774. Jonah chapter 1. This is God's word. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amite, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were Uh, afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Well, this morning uh, we want to begin a new series, and we want to be uh, looking uh, for the next few weeks at the book of Jonah. 
Jonah is one of the more well-known characters in the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, Many people know the story of a prophet who was swallowed by a great fish, only to be spit up three days later. Uh, Many people know that story, even if they've never read the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures. And so on one hand, it's a very familiar story. But it's one thing to be familiar with the story of Jonah, but it's another thing to understand what is the significance of Jonah. Why is this story in the Bible? Why is this book part of what is called the sacred canon of scripture, of God's word? What is the book of Jonah really trying to get across? And this morning we want to begin thinking about that question, about the significance of Jonah. Uh, And we want to see how it's unveiling to us something about the character of God. Something about God's character that we may have to be challenged about ourselves and to be corrected by with God's word. And this morning we want to see that because God is the sovereign Lord, uh, we are to fear him. And we want to think about this first chapter in two thoughts. We want to think about the flight of the prophet, and then we want to think about the fear of the pagans. The flight of the prophet, and then secondly, the fear of the pagan sailors. First, uh, we see the response of Jonah, of his flight. It tells us there at the beginning of the chapter, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me or against me. There's two basic instructions that are given to Jonah here. The first is is that he is to go to Nineveh. The second is is that he is to call out against it. He is to proclaim a message against the city. But as we uh, read this uh, uh, account of this instruction, it's helpful for us to understand what is exactly happening. Where exactly is Nineveh? Nineveh Uh, was a major area of Assyria. Uh, It is to the north of Israel. And at this time, it is important to realize something of the tension that exists between Israel and the Assyrians. Jonah was a prophet of Israel. Uh, By this time in Israel's history, Israel and Judah have already separated. The northern tribes of Israel have been marked by compromise. They've already been engaged in things like Baal worship in the time of Elijah. Uh, So they are a people who have been uh, characterized by the worship surrounding them, becoming more and more like the world. And this man, Jonah, is a prophet to these people. And you can actually learn more about Jonah by turning to the book of Kings, because his ministry goes beyond what we read of here. He also had a ministry to Israel. And as he came to Israel, he came to them bringing good news. Because in spite of the people's sins, they were being pummeled uh, by God's judgment. God brought the Assyrians and the Syrians upon Israel and brought Israel really to its knees. They were on the verge of being wiped out uh, because of these nations coming upon Israel. But the prophet Jonah was sent to Israel to proclaim the Lord's message. The message was good news of restoration. The Lord would build back his people. And that started to happen under the time of Jonah. It happened under the days of King Jeroboam. But it also tells us 
that the people did not detect this as coming from God. In spite of things changing towards uh, in their favor, the people of Israel did not see this as something coming from God. And as a result, they continued in their ways. So in one sense, Jonah was a prophet to Israel who proclaimed good news, a news that the people weren't listening to. But now Jonah is being commissioned by God to go to Nineveh, to another nation, to the nation that has just been humbling the people of Israel. There were many prophets who spoke against or spoke to the nations. That wasn't unique. But Jonah here is actually being told to go to that nation and to tell them a message from God. But the the people that he is going to are deemed as the enemies. These are the very people who are crippling our own nation. And so that's key to understanding the prophecy of Jonah. He's going to his enemies. But the second thing that you have to realize is that he's told to go to Nineveh and to call out against that great city. If you turn to the prophecy of Nahum, uh, you learn something of the characteristics of Nineveh, what they were being called out for. And Nahum highlights some of their sins. Uh, They were being highlighted for their sins of uh, brutality, uh, their sins of uh, sorcery, Uh, their sins of harlotry, uh, their sins uh, uh, in other ways as well, pillaging uh, and of deceit. And so they they were characterized as an evil city. And Jonah was to call out their sins. The reason why Jonah was to do that is because God was making it clear that he is the judge of all the nations, that all nations have to give an account to him. And so this This message is going out to Nineveh so that they understand before whom they have to give an account. Now, you may be sitting here this morning and you recoil at that idea that God is going to judge the nations. This idea that all of us are going to be accountable before God. But if that is something that you recoil at, this idea of God's judgment, then begin by unpacking that and asking yourself, Where do you build your understanding of God from? How do you come to think of God? Where do you build your understanding? And if you start by saying, well, it's what intuitively makes sense to me. Or it's what I like to think of God. When I think of God, I like to think of God this way. If that's how you begin to build your understanding of God then really what you're amounting to is like the person who walks up to the water well and looks down into the water well and then finds themselves seeing a reflection of their own image. That you are actually forming an understanding of God that is really suiting your own preferences. You're making God into your image. And there's no way of differentiating the living God from an idol of your own imagination. That's the danger. So where we begin with our understanding of God makes a big difference. We begin with what God has revealed about himself. And the scriptures are plain that the God who is, is a God who judges. He's a God who judges the nations. He's a God who is sovereign over all. And if we find ourselves here not even wanting to acknowledge that there's a God, then we have an even bigger problem. 
because now we have to begin to explain what is the actual difference between good and evil. Is there any objective difference? Or is it simply the preferences, the changing preferences of the masses? What makes brutality so wrong? What makes deceit so wrong? Is it just because right now the majority of us think that way? Or is it because there is a God who holds right and wrong, who makes known to us what is good and what is evil? You see, suppressing the knowledge of God doesn't help us. It actually puts us in a worse condition. And so here, when we begin the the prophecy of Jonah, we have this man who's being commissioned by God to go to another nation, an enemy nation. He is to call out against that nation about their sins. But it's simply highlighting that we are accountable before this God. But there's something else that we have to realize, too. Because any time you read in scripture, when God sends his prophets, even to his own people, the purpose of that is always to correct. The intention behind that is to forewarn the people. So you read in the prophecy of Jeremiah that God sends his servants to the people to warn them so that they would turn, so that they would repent, so that God's judgment wouldn't need to happen. And so it's important to realize that The aim in warning is ultimately to curb, to change people, and to bring them back to himself. And so this is the commission that is being given uh, to Jonah. But the book begins with a rather unexpected statement. In fact, it's so unexpected, so surprising, that it has to be stated four times in verse 3. The prophet does not act like any other prophet. No other description of a prophet amounts to what we see in Jonah here. He rejects, he refuses his calling. It says there in verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He's going in the opposite direction. He has no intention of doing the Lord's bidding here. He's running from his responsibilities. It's also interesting that when you look at how the prophets describe their own role, if you go to, for instance, Elijah, when Elijah describes himself, what is a prophet? Elijah says that his role is to stand in the presence of the Lord. What was Elijah saying by that? He's saying that as a prophet, I am the one who comes before the heavenly court. I'm the one who receives a message from God, and then I declare it to the people. That is the function of a prophet, to stand before the presence of God. And so when it says two times here that Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord, we don't have to think of that simply as a geographical description, that he is trying to run away physically from God. But it could also be meaning that Jonah here is wanting to exempt himself from his calling. Jonah doesn't want to do the Lord's work. He doesn't want to carry out this mission. And now we're suddenly realizing something complicated about the human heart. Because Jonah's struggle here is not about an intellectual concern. Is there a God? It's not him wrestling with unbelief. I don't know if there's a God. But rather this man is wrestling with the will of God. 
and not wanting it to come to pass. That's why he's running. He's, he's refusing it. He's stubbornly resisting it. And so he runs to a ship to get away from that mission. This, this is the, the human heart that wants to reject God's purposes. I don't want that. I want what I want. And we see that happening even here within the visible people of God. They struggle with it too. And so as we begin this uh, uh, study on the, the life of Jonah, we see him fleeing, fleeing from God and fleeing from his mission. But we see also not just the flight of the prophet, we also see the fear of the pagans or the fear of those who are not following the same beliefs, those of a different belief system than the people of Israel, as we might describe it. And here it zeroes in on these mariners, on these sailors. It tells us that a great uh, wind uh, came upon the sea and there was a mighty storm on the sea so that the ship threatened to be broken up. And it tells us, as a result, these sailors began to cry out each to their own god. Uh, they, they had uh, their many resources, their many gods that they would appeal to. And you see that they are crying out for help. In other words, they displayed a sensitivity to their situation. We're in trouble. We need help. We need to find someone that can help us. And so they cry out to their gods. Again, we can look at this as modern people and look back and think how naive or simple-minded these people must be. They're just crying out to different gods. But the, the, it works both ways. If we're looking at this thinking that these mariners, these sailors are simple-minded people, realize that they can look at us or people in the future can look at us as also being simple because if we're in distress, if we're in a crisis, if we're in a situation where we need help and we still won't call out for help, what does that tell us about ourselves? What does that say about us when we won't look for help when we know we need it, but that we're stubbornly resisting it? So it doesn't do any good to simply look back and to think that these people are pre-modern or these people are simply looking for easy support crutches to life. These people recognize their desperate situation and they're sensitive to it. And so they're crying out. Now they cry out to their gods and there's no help because they're idols. They are not able to answer prayer. But you see that there's a sensitivity to their situation. But then secondly, you notice that they begin to throw out the cargo, trying to lighten the boat. The more cargo that they throw overboard, the higher the boat uh, sails, the less water comes into the ship. They are taking this storm seriously. This is a life-threatening storm. But you notice as well, not only that they uh, are unable to address the problem by throwing the cargo out, but you see the, the captain comes and rebukes Jonah, who is asleep in the innermost part of the ship. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And so here's someone who doesn't believe in the God of Israel, rebuking the prophet, telling him to get up and to pray. There's no mention whether Jonah actually does pray. But what a contrast. On the one hand, you have these pagans who are praying to, uh, to their deities, looking for help. 
On the other hand, you have a prophet who's willing to sleep through the storm. No concern, no inclination towards God. A, a, a striking contrast between these two groups. The sailors are convinced uh, that this uh, storm has come upon them uh, because someone is guilty. And in order to determine who is guilty, they cast lots and the lots fall on Jonah. And so they give him a chance to confirm uh, their suspicions or the lots and to share with them any information that he could give them. What's his origin? Uh, what's his, uh, his deity that he worships? What's his occupation? Uh, because if we know those things, we might know how to fix this. Uh, much in the way that sometimes pe- people have patron saints and allegiance and loyalties towards certain saints can help them in certain situations. If we know what you do, Jonah, then we can appeal to a certain patron deity to get us out of this. If we know where you come from, we know which God we've offended. But you know how, notice how Jonah testifies to them. He says, I am a Hebrew, which is a way of distinguishing an Israelite from the other nations. That I fear the Lord. I worship the covenant God of Abraham. But then he goes beyond that. He says, I fear the Lord who made the seas and the dry land. I worship not only a God, I worship the God who is sovereign over all things. The God who has brought this storm upon you and the God who is able to bring you safely to shore. That's what Jonah says. He's testifying to them and agreeing with them with their casting of their lots that he is responsible. That It is his God that has brought this storm upon them. He testifies to them that his God is Lord over all. He is the God who has caused this storm and he can bring them safely uh, to land. And so you see this progression in the, the sailors, don't you? At first they were afraid of the storm, but now it tells us they were exceedingly afraid. Why? Because they realized that Jonah had provoked his God to wrath. They realized, as Jonah told them, that he was fleeing from the presence of God. And so now they're exceedingly afraid because they realize the desperation of their situation. This isn't simply a dangerous storm that threatens their life. We have angered the God who is in control of the sea. And so they ask Jonah, what must we do in order to uh, uh, be rescued from this? What shall we do that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said, pick me up and hurl me into the sea and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Uh, It's not clear uh, what Jonah means by that. Is Jonah saying that out of a selfless mindset? Let me die so that you live or is he saying that out of a stubborn mindset I would rather die than repent it's not clear but you notice the shift in focus is not so much on what Jonah says but on the sailors reaction because what would you have done if you heard that Jonah had provoked his God to wrath and Jonah says this is how you can resolve this situation. This is how you can appease the God whom I've angered. Throw me overboard. You might expect the sailors would immediately throw him overboard. But that's not what happens. What does it say happens? 
It tells us there in verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rode hard. They didn't want to do it. What does that tell us? It's another one of those surprising twists. That here are these pagan sailors who do not know the God of Israel, who nevertheless are more sensitive than the prophet of God, who are more sensitive towards the sacredness of life, who are more sensitive to provoking God's wrath upon themselves for taking that life. And so they don't want to do it. This is something that we call common grace. That God shows his grace in such a way that people live with an instinctive understanding that life is precious and that it is not to be taken lightly. The French reformer John Calvin says, There is by nature implanted in all an abhorrence of cruelty. Though these men never knew the doctrine of the law, they were yet so taught by nature that they knew that the blood of man is dear and precious in the sight of God. That life is to be respected and protected. And so you see something surprising here. But these people recognize that life is precious and they don't want to provoke God's wrath by being guilty of taking this man's life. And so they tried to get to shore themselves. Ultimately, they, uh, 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 they pray to the Lord. They take up the name of the covenant name of the Lord, Yahweh or Jehovah, upon their lips. And they ask not to be held guilty for this man's life. As if to say, we believe this is your verdict. And we believe that this penalty is of your own choosing. And so they cast Jonah overboard uh, as a result. And then it tells us that there was uh, a great ceasing of the storm. The sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. First, the men were marked by fear of the storm. Then they were marked by fear by Jonah's testimony. But now they are marked by fear by the deliverance, the control, the sovereignty of God. And all of that actually stands in contrast with Jonah's own testimony. When Jonah said, I fear the Lord, it didn't look like it by the way Jonah was living. But here are these sailors showing how much they reverenced God by the way that they were responding to what they had been exposed to. There was a great difference uh, uh, between them. And so they feared uh, the Lord exceedingly, and they offered up sacrifices and made vows. These men had an encounter with the living God, and the stilling of the storm had a powerful effect on, on them. They were faced with the power of God over all. Uh, and it tells us that they offered sacrifices and made vows, that is, promises of devotion uh, to this God. So at the end of this storm, it's the pagan sailors who exemplify what living by faith looks like, not the prophet of God. That's a surprising twist in Jonah. Because if you were an Israelite and you were reading this account, you would immediately gravitate towards Jonah. Jonah is one of us. 
you would think that Jonah is going to emerge as the hero here, that the Ninevites are going to be the bad guys, the, the pagan sailors, they are outside the covenant people of God. And so it would be very easy for someone who was an Israelite who thought the Israelites are close and special to God and everyone else is below and beneath us and beyond God's grace to think that way. And yet the tables have completely turned through the prophecy of Jonah. Because at the end of this account, it's the prophet who's being judged. And it's the pagans who are being shown mercy. That God's mercy goes beyond the covenant people of Israel. And that God has a way of making himself known to people and advancing his purposes. This is not the only time that we see God's sovereign power instilling a storm. It happens as well when Jesus was in the boat with his disciples. You remember the disciples wake Jesus uh, and they are uh, aware, they are concerned that they're going to perish. And you remember that Jesus uh, gets up and then Jesus rebukes uh, the storm and says, peace be still. And there was a great calm on the waters. But you remember the result of that was very similar to the pagans here. These sailors were exceedingly afraid after they were delivered from the storm. So the disciples were marked by great fear when they saw that Jesus had control over the storm itself. That Jesus had the same power as the father who calmed the storm in Jonah's case. And so that's what is to inform us about our understanding of Jesus. That, that, the, that Jesus has the power of God. That he is sovereign even as his father is sovereign over all of nature. That he has the power of God to control all things. And we have to take into consideration that when we think about Jesus. Does your view of Jesus take into consideration the fear of the disciples. The way the disciples react towards Jesus. Does it recognize that they saw him as more than just a man? And then when you think about what happens to Jesus, you understand it as the work of God. Because the scriptures tell us that Jesus ultimately came and laid down his life. That although he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped but he emptied himself. The one who has all power was willing to deny himself in order to still the storm of God's judgment. He was willing to be the one who was sacrificed in order that others would be saved. And he did it having all authority. And we see in all of this uh, the glory of God and salvation. Through Jesus' one sacrifice, salvation would come uh, to the whole, uh, uh, to the extent of the nations. Jay Sklar uh, points out, if you were an Israelite looking at this, uh, it would turn your world upside down. At the end of this event, the Israelite is judged and the pagans are shown mercy. That is meant to humble us. That we should not look down on others. Because oftentimes, the people of God are guilty of the very same sins as those outside the visible church. But more than that, it ought to also encourage us to realize that God's purposes go beyond 
the confines of our immediate circle. And at the end of the day, God's purposes will prevail. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Nineveh will be reached. The only real question is whether Jonah will be found faithful or not. And the same is true of us. God's purpose is to bless the nations, to bring the good news of salvation to the end of the earth, that there is a God before whom we give an account, but God has provided a savior in his son, and that all who believe in Jesus will be saved. The question is, is are we being faithful to that mission? Are we people who are submitting to God's will? Or are we like Jonah, stubbornly resisting God's purposes because we don't want the thems to be part of the us's? That we want to keep the enemies enemies rather than seeing God's mercy expand. The book of Jonah is about more than a fish. It's about the character of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about uh, the life of Jonah and the word of God given to him, Lord, we pray that you would uh, prevent us and correct us from sins of uh, stubbornness and refusal. But help us, Lord, to be people who delight in your grace, who delight in your mercy. Lord, make us people who are sensitive to our situation but also people who are sensitive to your word. We ask that by your spirit, we would treasure uh, the promises of God, of the salvation that is available in Christ, to the one who is all power and authority, who is willing to lay down his life for sinners. So go before us now in Jesus' name. Amen.